Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. Welcome to UFOs Above Canada, a nighttime podcast series exploring the people, the events, and the concepts that surround the Canadian UFO experience. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the next installment in Nighttime's UFOs Above Canada series. In tonight's episode, I'll again be joined by celebrated Canadian UFO writer and researcher Chris Rutkowski, and we got a lot to talk about. As it turns out, Chris recently digitized and released a literal treasure trove of Canadian government documents relating to UFO reports. And there are some real gems in there. In addition to that, Chris and I also have a tremendous amount of UFO reports that have been submitted to me by listeners of Nighttime over the last week or so. And in this episode, Chris and I are going to try to unpack all of it. So yeah, we got a lot to discuss, so let's just get right to it. Chris Rutkowski, you've been a, a very busy guy this past week. Busy to the tune of, I don't know, 600 pages of documents that you've shared? <laughs> Yeah, there's a, a, a whole whack. That's, I think that's the technical term, actually, is a whole whack. Oh, yeah, of, that, that's of, a measurement of documents. Yeah, right? archivists use that, um, of uh, uh, newly digitized uh, Canadian government documents on UFOs. And uh, they come from the 90s, specifically 1992, 94, and 95, um, having issues with some of the other ones. Uh, but I thought, well, let's make these available anyways. So um, one of the preeminent uh, UFO researchers, Isaac Coy, um, has uploaded them. He had, has a deal with uh, uh, the uh, archive for Euphonets in Sweden. Um, and uh, they're all on their website. So uh, each one is there uh, separately. And then I think he's also made them as a composite. So one giant PDF if you want them all at the same time. Wow. But yeah, there these are uh, NRC reports, National Research Council of Canada reports from from that those years, and it's uh, what civilians have reported. There's some uh, military reports in there. There's pilots' reports in there, um, and uh, you know the, this these are their actual documents. You hear a lot about you know uh, uh, reports from the United States Navy and the Nimitz and uh, the UAP task force and and this new organized. Uh, office and whatever oh we've got lots of reports you never see any of the reports mm -hmm. these are actual reports these are actual ufo reports from the 90s and uh, uh you can actually see what was actually reported throughout that time yeah very cool to get a look at we'll get into some of those reports in a bit but before i do or before we do other than you know your work getting these documents together and, and sharing them as you, as you just explained what what goes on in the the week or do, I guess we were up at we, we spoke last I think two or three weeks ago what goes on in two or three weeks for Canada's UFO guy what have you been up to other than this well um, <laughs> I mean every day um, I get inquiries uh, from people who've seen things um, uh, the past week, there were quite a lot of UFO reports that came through you or directly mm. to me. Um, I have a, a number of things that are uh, coming up. My book launch, I'm preparing for that. Mm. I'm actually giving a, a public presentation here in Manitoba at a provincial park at a campground uh, coming up the next weekend. And uh, so I have to prepare a little bit for that. So mm. there's there's stuff happening. Well, the the presentation at a campground will that be in like at night or will this be a daytime thing? No, it's at night. Um, oh. After uh, sun goes down, nine o'clock, uh, I'm going to be giving a presentation uh, about what some of the UFOs that have been seen in and around that particular area. This is in a place called the White Shell Provincial Park in Manitoba. Okay. Uh, and uh, um, you know that, that there's a, a fair amount of interest in in this, and the, what a perfect time! I'll probably do a little bit of pointing out some some planets and some stars uh, in the sky to throw some astronomy in just for good measure. Yeah, or maybe you'll get lucky and you'll have like a Starlink pass as that's happening. Because I I imagine in like a remote area of Manitoba, you get a great look at the sky out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's uh, there's some areas of Manitoba that are are you know very well suited to dark sky sites. Yeah. Yeah, I was um, just last week. I was in Prince Edward Island, 
which are probably not unlike Manitoba. There's some, there's no major cities where, near where I was staying. So it's like, I'm just not used to seeing the sky that clearly <laughs> from, because in Halifax, when I go outside and look at the sky, it's just this like, you know, um, mustard looking blankness. From, oh, yeah. Yeah. So you, you can't really see constellations and stars other than maybe the North Star. But when I was in uh, Prince Edward Island, it was... Uh, it was just so amazing to look up and just see everything. And luckily, while I was there, there was um, several low passes of the Starlink. They must have just launched some new satellites or whatever. So it was, uh, I got some really amazing views of that with my kids. Yeah, I, I think uh, there was a launch um, on f uh, Friday or Saturday, the 28th, something like uh, twenty uh, the 27th, I think. Okay. was another, uh, the most recent launch. Mm-hmm. Um, well, cool stuff. I wish you the best with that. That sounds. If I was in Manitoba, I would definitely be trying to get in on that. Mm -hmm. uh, now let's let's get into some of these reports. So you these documents that that you've been sharing, you shared with me, you shared them all across the the net. Uh, give me an idea again of where they came from. Um, these are uh, from my own files. As you know, I've been I've donated uh, thousands of my uh, my own UFO files and documents over the years and uh, to the University of Manitoba archives. And because of the pandemic and all sorts of other stuff there, it's slow going to digitize them. The idea is to make them available. Um, so I've actually gone into archives and have actually digitized wax myself, uh, sat there and um, you know spent some time doing that, several hours uh, at a time doing it, and then converted them into uh, readable formats and then uploaded them uh, to Isaac, who then threw them up on uh, the site. And I think the people are going to be mirroring them uh, all over the place. And uh, it's an interesting collection of 92, uh, 94, and 95. So yeah. these are, and most people think, oh, well, doesn't hasn't Canada already done that? Well, Canada did. The National Research Council files were digitized up until about 1982. Um, and after that point, they, they just never got around to it. Um, and there are actually are no plans of the, of the Library and Archives Canada to digitize uh, more. So uh, we're sort of dependent on other files and other ways of doing it. Of course, you can go to Ottawa and take a look at them yourself uh, in paper copy. But in terms of digital, digital uh, versions, uh, we're sort of stuck. So I took my own copies of some of these. Uh, and uh, this is what I've digitized. Interesting. Now, the, the it's a tremendous amount of documents. I've had a chance to go through them, and you see all sorts of things. Mainly, the ones that caught my attention were the uh, the UFO reports and and you know and the descriptions of what the people saw and whatnot. But where did this like? How did this come out? Is this something that people would have received through FOIA pop requests or going to the government and you know and just getting copies and scanning them? Like how how did all of these documents now begin to surface? Well, this batch um, surfaced because, I mean, I went down to the National Research Council many times to the Library and Archives Canada. And, um, uh, National Research Council of Canada was uh, the investigating body of UFOs uh, mm -hmm. up until 1995. And uh, the RCMP would investigate on their behalf and uh, send the, back then the teletypes and the uh, uh, and other paper copies to the National Research Council for a given year. And at the end of the year, uh, that particular year's worth of paper and documents were, were bundled up, sent to Library and Archives Canada, uh, where they were uh, redacted. And, I, and by that, I mean like the names and phone mm -hmm. numbers and addresses of the witnesses were, uh, were taken off uh, and then put in the Library and Archives catalog, uh, Library and Archives um stacks i guess the, the files and made available to anybody who wanted them and then um you could if you wanted to file some access to information requests for some of these and you could get get some of these i know some people have done that uh, i used to do that quite a bit mm -hmm. um so i got them either myself from being in ottawa or through uh, some access to information requests interesting i just have one of the reports in front of me here and you just you mentioned how the reports are, have been redacted to remove things like names and phone numbers. It drives me nuts because I really want to contact this person. I'm <laughs> going to read you a, uh, this is a report 
that was received by the Royal uh, by the RCMP on the 9th of January 92. So redacted reported yeah. to the Gander International Airport weather office that she had seen a dark object in the sky near Wesleyville, Newfoundland on January 2nd, 1992 at 4:30 p.m. for about 6 minutes. Uh, the same was witnessed by six other persons as recorded below. The sky was fairly clear and CN reports object appeared to have protrusion from the bottom. There were no visible movements in the CN. I'm guessing CN is like the person who reported it yeah. belie believes the same object was also seen previously, but as a bright object in the darker night sky, the altitude was unknown. And then it goes on to explain the, and now here's the part I really dig. The name, which was redacted, lives in Wesleyville, Newfoundland, and her phone number is, and there's the next redaction. She's been reporting these sightings to the Gander International Airport office at, and it gives their phone number. The redacted name further advised that attempts had been made to videotape the object. However, due to the temperature change outdoors, the lens of their video camera had clouded over. Clogged over, yeah. <laughs> but when I read that, I'm just like, this stuff is amazing. I would love to talk to this person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and that's just you know one out of you know four hundred pages of the of the documents mm -hmm. um, that are, are that are in these files, mm -hmm. and you know this is these are things reported to the uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So these are actual UFO files uh, recorded by government officials, um, and you know when you hear about you know some stories or claims that oh there's lots of people seeing UFOs, and we have, we're we're going to get these documents someday and whatever. Well. You know, we have these documents here in Canada. It's just a matter of someone taking, like, and I guess that's the need for, in the importance of, like, an archivist. The idea, like, the, to collect it all, put it together in a spot that it's easily accessible for the public, but also that so that it's organized and curated so that you don't need to be like, I'm going to next spend the next eight hours going through, you know, 800 pages of this stuff, you know? Like, yeah, and the point is also... These are just the the reports filed with the National Research Council of Canada. Mm. Um, there's more cases, obviously. I mean, this was already during the period when I was doing the Canadian UFO survey, and there's you know lots of uh, hundreds of, of other uh, cases uh, that have been investigated by researchers from one end of the country to the other. Um, and those are awaiting digitization. So the, this is just a you know a fraction of what is available out there in the cases that have been reported over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, as I went through the documents, most of what I, what I viewed and read through is reports being made, but I haven't seen anything or come across anything that appears that investigations were, were done. Uh, you've gone through these documents in much greater detail than I have. Did you see anything in there that stood out as the government or the NRC or whoever taking that next step and actually trying to figure out what's being reported to them? Um, of the organizations, the uh, RCMP, the Mounties, mm -hmm. uh, did uh, more investigations than anybody else because that was that was their thing, right? They, they, in fact, uh, one I remember one RCMP officer said that they treat the UFOs as uh, a criminal investigation, just not because it's something illegal, but because that's the process that that they would take. You know, interviewing the witness, interviewing the witness's family, going out to the site taking samples if there are any samples and whatever and then writing reports and that type of thing so they did actual investigations um and i would say out of that uh, the the batches but in uh, the 90s i saw very few in-depth investigations now there were some there, there's absolutely were some um but by the time that we got into the 90s the national research council of canada was really getting out of the the ufo business and i've said that a couple of times but they were really not that interested in engaging with the public as much anymore they're looking for excuses to to really um uh, to not do very much unless something was really spectacular they didn't do very much for example in the case that you just talked about i doubt that you know they they uh, that an rcmp officer you know did much beyond you know taking this woman's uh, uh, report and um, I, you know, I, I don't think that the, there's a lot of investigation at that point. Mm -hmm. But there are cases uh, in this batch, and and you, you know, when people take a look at it, um, there uh, there were some 
you know, cases that amounted to several pages of investigation, interrogation of, of the witnesses uh, in, in some great detail. So mm-hmm. I'd say that, that a very small amount were well investigated. Um, but, you know, that's more than that we have for anything from the United States during that particular period. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it just shows that the amount of uh, data out there is still quite significant. By the 90s, it was, most of the investigation was being done by civilian uh, UFO investigators, and a lot of those were well investigated. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, just speaking of the extent of kind of the investigation that you see in some of these reports, there's one other one that really stood out to me as uh, what is now, I guess, competing with Shag Harbor for my favorite Canadian UFO sighting. Oh, okay. And this one is actually, I, I've only learned about this through your documents, the documents that were published. Um, this is a UFO sighting from the 6th of March, 1992. And this is one of the ones that there was a, I wouldn't say they investigated, but they at least took steps to interrogate or interview the multiple witnesses. And we have a good summary of the statements of everybody involved, but I'll just read you the basics of it. This one, this one's wild. So again, this is March 6, 92. And this is report, and this is notes by the NRC Meteor Center headquarters. Do you know Mm -hmm. what the, the NRC Meteor Center would be? Well, um, within the National Research Council, uh, there was a place called the Hertzberg Institute of Astrophysics. And within that, um, there were some um, astronomers who were experts in meteors and meteoritics. Okay. And they were the ones who were interested in the UFOs. That's that's where it comes from. Okay, so, so it's this office that shares this report. So it reads, the complainant reported that he saw very light bluish colored lights in the trees moving around them. Then he saw a tall, approximately eight foot tall, hairy monster standing atop a large snowfall, uh, snow pile. This monster then chased the complainant and his friends into town from the bush slash park area that they were originally in. This occurred on March 6, 92 in Deerwood Park, Thompson, Manitoba at approximately 2240. Complainant was received, complaint was received at 2300 hours. The subject was approximately eight feet tall, hairy, boner, bony on the upper body, <laughs> but with big legs and feet. There was only one, and he was walking on the ground. The sky was clear, but it was dark. The witnesses are, and then they list the witnesses, but they're redacted. The children had been to the movies. So I'm now learning by this statement that the redacted names are likely children that reported mm-hmm. this. So it says, the children had been to the movies. They saw stop or my mother will shoot and had been out later than they were supposed to have been. They may, they may have fabricated the story to stay out of trouble. Also, the children did tell police that they, were, that they followed four to six drunken males into the park. One of the males stopped and turned, telling the children to be careful. In any case, police feel that the children's story is part imagination and part fabrication. Police, however, are still investigating this occurrence. And yep. then that goes on with several pages of the statements of each of the children involved in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's amazing because it's the idea that like you're out too late with your buddies and you need to come up with a story. And the story is like a UFO. There's this eight <laughs> foot tall alien. Yeah, there was a drunk man who was like, "Be careful." It's it sounds like um, it's too crazy to be true to to it be is. made up. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And, I believe um, every word of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, the, the statements from the, like you say, the statements from the kids are there, the RCMP, you know, report goes on for a number of pages. Um, and you know, there's one that was investigated fairly, fairly in depth. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it sits there. Well, they, uh, yeah, I guess uh, an investigation or a report or a complaint like that, 
I would just, I would love to be a, like a fly on the wall in that room as they're deciding which route to take that. But the fact that we have access to that stuff is pretty amazing. People who enjoy like UFO reports and UFO stories, like that is the kind of stuff that I look for. I love that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and again, you're not, this is not something that you're just reading in a book or a, or a UFO fanzine. This is an actual police report. <laughs> and, you know, you have to think, wow, this is this is actually was actually taken to at least some extent seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the release of this many Canadian documents from all across the country, has there been much interest? Like you would be the one who'd be hearing from people. Or, or, what are people thinking about this? Or has there been much of a reaction? As a matter of fact, I've heard very little. Um, you know, I know people have noted it uh, on Twitter um, and on Facebook. Um, and, you know, there's been maybe a handful of people who said, oh, yeah, this is kind of interesting, which is really, you know, to me, very curious because you think with all the fascination uh, going around now about, uh, you know, the, the UAP task force and the, the need for um, disclosure and we're, we're really close to disclosure and there's going to be whistleblowers coming forward with all sorts of good stuff any minute now and we're, there's going to be a report released by the Pentagon you know any minute now um, and yet you know you dump you know hundreds of official documents of investi- UFO investigations from Canada and nobody takes any interest whatsoever hmm. so I, I don't know it's it's a little puzzling yeah, certainly. Um, I want to take a, a bit of a sidestep here. If you recall from the last time we talked, um, something we t- we we discussed was a um, a concert in I believe it was in Nova Scotia, maybe it was in New Brunswick that involved Ashley McIsaac mm. uh, in his in a guitar his guitar player uh, performing a song that included the line "The aliens are nice." You remember mm. this? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, uh, a listener of our show. Um, sent a voice memo uh, giving their thoughts on that segment of that discussion. I want to play it for you. This is Beth calling from Manitoba, a longtime listener and fan. And I'm calling about a recent story, um, which may have uh, given me a spiritual awakening. I'm, I'm wondering if I'm not the only one here going through this, because all I can hear in the back of my head when I go to sleep at night is... The aliens are nice, the aliens are nice. Anyway, I just thought, um, you know, I don't go to church anymore, but if there was the closest thing to going to church, it might be that, and I might go back. Thanks for uh, sharing this wonderful little concert. I'm not sure who sang it or um, what that venue was, but it was a sweet little ditty, and... uh, just wanted to say thanks and keep doing what you're doing. You guys are awesome. Have a good one. So that's quite the reaction, right? Yeah, that's that's really good. That's good. That's that's quite significant. Uh, and that song is actually I've I've learned that it is actually a recorded song that you can hear on Spotify. So when I publish the podcast version of this episode, I'm going to have I'm going to include a link in the episode description for people who want to hear the actual cool. recording. It is cool. it is a good song. Yeah, I mean, you know, you only have to think about I'm a stranger here on uh, this place called Earth mm-hmm. by um, who was that? Was that uh, um Five Man Electrical Band. I can't remember now. Okay, I know the tune. I would I would never be able to pull out the artist's name though. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got some reports for us. I'm gonna start with one that was sent to us as a voice memo, and then I have a few written reports. But we, we got a lot. I think since we did our recording, whatever two weeks ago, um, it's it, maybe that kind of kicked the hornet's nest a bit and encouraged some people to write in and send voice memos or maybe it's just been a really busy two weeks in the canadian in canada's skies because i've got a lot of reports here uh the first two both come from the evening of august 20th this is victoria bc hi jordan my name is claire and i live in victoria british columbia Last night, August 20th, 2022, at around 9.45 p.m., I saw something unusual in the sky. I'm a stargazer, um, and I'm always looking up. 
I have seen planets, shooting stars, satellites, the space station, various constellations all the time. And I've even seen Starlink. So I know what all of those things look like. But last night as I was looking up, I began to see something kind of very strange in the sky. It started out as kind of a long, thin, very kind of wispy, cloud-like thing. And my first thought was that it was the trail of a plane. But I thought, that's odd because it is at night and it seems to be luminescent in a way. But as I watched it, it suddenly began to morph into something different. It began to take a, a sharper focus and turn into a line of maybe 50 to 80 bright, burning white lights traveling very quickly all together in a southeasterly direction in the sky. These objects, um, as I said, were all white. They were glowing white and bright and um, bigger and brighter than all of the other stars in the sky. They stayed together in a line and the distance between each of the bright lights varied slightly and each of those bright lights was a little bit of a different size. And as I said, they, they, it was quite a long string of them. Um, they took up, oh gosh, probably a fifth of the whole skyline that I could see. It turned out that a neighbor was walking in front of me and I shouted at him to look up as well. And he did. And he had no explanation for what it was. It traveled, as I said, very quickly all together. And just as it had come into focus, it slowly faded out of focus and returned again into this kind of just luminescent line um, that suddenly dispersed. Now, I am just wondering if this was um, the Pleiades meteor. I thought I've seen meteors before, um, but this was just so different. I would love to find out if it was. Thanks again, and I enjoy the show. Bye. My my first reaction to hearing that is at the beginning, she lists some things that she has seen before that she believes she could recognize. And one of them was Starlink. Mm -hmm. When I hear her description, to me, it very much sounds like this could have been a Starlink sighting. Absolutely. In fact, I'm guessing that's exactly it. Um, she talked about, you know, there were, she thought 50 to 80. Well, um, there were about 50 um, Starlinks sent up on uh, the night of August 19th. And this was on the uh, August twentieth. Yeah. Um, so you know that's very very likely that uh, that's what that was. Uh, then there was a, a, a the most recent launch was August the twenty eighth, um, and uh, so today very early. Uh, so they would be uh, you know seen uh, uh, you know possibly tonight. I'd have to take a, a check. I, I don't know them off the top of my head. But the 19th fits perfectly and the August the 28th fits perfectly too. Yeah, she was her sighting was the 20th, but the the way it would work like when they launched the satellites for Starlink, like they'd be very visible the 19th, a little less on the 20th, a little less on the 21st until they're too high into orbit. The, well, until they, they spread out. Yeah, and then they they dim and and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. But the way she described it reminds me a lot of what I've seen. It's like when with Starlink, you can find out online like when it's visible from where mm -hmm. you are. So mm -hmm. I knew like when I was traveling in PEI, I knew when Starlink was coming. And let's say if it was going to be 854 or something, I'm looking around at the sky at that point trying to get a glimpse of it. And it, it it's not like like an airplane flying over you. It's like I'm, I'm kind of looking at it and I see lights and I'm like, is that it? And then it slowly comes into focus and, and mm -hmm. then it's right above me fills the sky a whole bunch of white dots in a perfect line and it very quickly passes like it's it's going at a good pretty good speed it, yeah it goes pretty it quickly and uh, covering about a fifth of the sky sounds like this one was spread out by uh, a little bit by that time sometimes you can catch them um, very shortly after release um, in space and they're all sort of scrunched in together and they look like a long kind of uh, cigar uh, in the sky the best description and this comes from some of the ones some of the reports we've got recently 
was that somebody described it as a a caterpillar with lights on its legs. <laughs> I like that. And I thought, oh, that's really good. That's a good way of describing it too. Yeah. Uh, I got another voice report from the same evening, um, August 20th. Let's see if, the, if this is different. This is Lake Ontario. My kids and I were at Lake Ontario. We were looking north. We were trying to see the northern lights. And uh, about 9.45, this object just appeared over Lake Ontario. It was very long and narrow, and it was lit up. And it was coming south towards like, the St. Catharines area. Um, and it was moving at quite a quick pace. And as it got, um, I want to say towards the east, but towards like St. Catharines, it just vanished. It, the lights just went out over top of the lake and um, yeah, we kind of collected our dogs and left as quickly as possible. And we, um, mm. we do have a video of it. There's a lot of swearing. We were a little bit startled, but <laughs> it was definitely nothing I've ever seen in my life. The same, the same evening. I think mm -hmm. the, her description doesn't go in enough detail about you know they were in a line, but I'm again leaning towards Starlink being responsible. Yeah, and that time is exactly when people were seeing it right across the country. So, so that does work. And I have to note that it's not just Starlink that you can you know punch in and try find uh, you know the time that it's going over. Um, there's a site called Heavens Above. And it includes um, not just the stars and planets that are visible at the time, but um, all the satellites that are visible at that time. And you can go specifically down to the, the brightest ones and you can actually, you know, find the International Space Station or a, um, a, a Russian cosmos that's passing overhead or, you know, something, uh, something else. And you can, you know, go with this uh, guide from this uh, from this site and go out and actually see it. So, the, you know, there's uh, there's many ways of seeing it. Sometimes when people see lights moving by themselves in the sky that sort of wink out, and then you see another one moving in a different direction, all that, uh, it's probably because, you know, there's a satellite that's going into Earth's shadow and one's coming out of Earth's shadow and things like that. So there are ways of trying to ascertain uh, some of what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. there, there always seems to be something that pops up that is... Um there's just like a rash of uh, like this specific thing being mistaken for ufos like uh right now it's it's clearly starlink is like so many reports can be attributed to starlink for a while it was like drones or you know um uh, chinese lanterns like there's always something and it's just starlink really came out of nowhere at least mm -hmm. for me with uh the reports that I'm that I get through my website, so many of them now I read, and I'm like, that's probably Starlink. That it's at the point where I almost need to, um, gets uh, I need to like rule out Starlink before I, you know, even consider anything else. Where chances are that's where it goes. Yeah, and you know, rather than you know assume that something is a spaceship or you know truly mysterious, think about the possibilities of what these things are. That you're seeing first you know am i looking at a satellite am i looking at starlink am i is it does that move like a drone is that a high-flying aircraft that type of thing and once you've eliminated all of that then you can move towards the ufo uh, explanation and that's what our next report is going to do this next one i am sure it is not starlink okay. and it's uh it is the uh, a daytime sighting This is uh, from Joanne. This is a sighting on August 24th. I believe this is Yorkton, Saskatchewan is where this came from. Really? All right, so it's at 4 p.m. Eastern. So we saw a cigar-shaped craft that was tan in color. My 86-year-old mother saw it in the sky as we were waiting to make a left-hand turn onto Van Horn Avenue. She asked me what it was and I looked and answered, I think it's a plane. My mom said, it doesn't look like a plane to me. And I looked again and said to my mother, oh my, uh, said to my mother, I think it's actually descending. I could not see the wings or tail and figured maybe this was why I couldn't see them because it may have been descending. I also noted that there was no trail behind it, but I know that's not that, uh, that that's not uncommon with planes. So I didn't think too much about that at the time. 
The traffic light turned green and I proceeded to make my turn and didn't think about it again until later that night when I was telling my husband about what we saw. It was during that talk with my husband that I realized that even if the plane was descending, it might have been on a slight angle away from me, that I would have still been able to see the tail or at least one of the wings. And that's when the light went on and I realized that what I saw was a UFO, not a plane. I also noted that I didn't remember seeing it moving because I was too busy looking for wings in the tail. The next day I was out driving and I saw another craft, which was a plane, and it was actually tilted a slight bit and I could clearly see the wings and tail. So I know what I saw on Wednesday was a UFO. Hmm. Okay. But what would be a tan object? Tan is an a odd tan color. Tan object. That would be visible in a daytime sky. I think the tan is, in, is unique because it's, you know, you see like those foil balloons and stuff, but generally they reflect either as a bright light or as a metallic object. But tan seems like a unique color to be spotted. Yeah, tan is very strange. Um, the fact that she said it wasn't moving and it was, it was a long, um, a long like, sort of cigar object. I mean, one thing that comes to mind is that it, a, a jet contrail itself, um, depending on whether it's reflecting sunlight uh, or not, um, might appear kind of a yellowish brown hanging in the sky. Um, I, and she doesn't say exactly how long she watched it for, because these things can hang in the sky for for many minutes this, uh, this seemed period. very quick though because she described she sees it at the light and then the light changes and she doesn't see and, it and she doesn't see it yeah uh, i don't know what that might be um one thing to note about yorkton is um there's actually a balloon launch um, uh, um environment canada launches balloons from an area near yorkton but this doesn't sound like a balloon so mm -hmm. uh you know I, I think we can probably rule that one out okay let's move over to uh, Gravenhurst, Ontario. This is August 22nd. Uh, Frances tells us that at about 11 p.m. she was swimming in Lake Muskoka looking at the Big Dipper. I initially thought I saw a shooting star coming from the bottom of the Dipper but it soon became clear that we were seeing but it soon became clear that we were seeing something completely different. As it came towards us we saw that it was shaped like a giant caterpillar. It had mm -hmm. many lights and we guessed it to be approximately five foot we guessed it to be approximately 5,000 feet up and about the length of seven car trains. At its front was a pale red light, and it looked like it was, it looked like it was spitting white light from it. So this is the one you referenced earlier, where a giant caterpillar of light would certainly give the impression of uh, of possibly Starlink, because mm -hmm. you know a straight line. But I like to think that a caterpillar like it's everything is kind of moving around so <laughs> yeah it could be i'm picturing uh, what, these what lights the, all was, just bobbing around yeah what was the date of that one though that was the 22nd of august 22nd so of that august. would have been about three or four days after the if they were launched on the 19th yeah they, they wouldn't be very bright by the 22nd i wouldn't think no no that's true um so not sure about that have to think about that but uh yeah it, it uh, doesn't sound um like it could be starlink but it, it is it's possible i mean sometimes uh depending on the cluster in the orbit i don't know mm -hmm. i i do like that they were able to give an approximation of it being about five thousand feet high i just wonder yeah. where, where they where they come up with that i would have no idea how yeah. high up five thousand feet is yeah, we're actually our our uh, ability to judge uh, distance and altitude in uh, of an object in the night sky is pretty pathetic. I couldn't um, I couldn't gauge it on the ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, let's go to Ajax now. Now this should be interesting because this is August nineteenth. So okay. this is the day Starlink was launched. Okay. Uh, this is at nine forty three p.m. Mm -hmm. um, so here we go. This is what Andrea says. Where I live has a great view of sunrise and sunsets over Lake Ontario. On the evening of Friday, August 19th, at approximately 9.43 p.m., mm -hmm. I was enjoying the evening with my neighbor in my building. It was a dark evening. There was no clouds in the sky, just the moon glistening over the lake. We did notice the frequency of planes in the far distance as some lights appeared closer and further away. 
I happened to be looking up and noticed a large blimp-shaped object appear. I immediately said to her, do you see that? And she replied, yes. We both stood up and stared. After a few seconds, she reached for her phone to capture it, and I said, it's too dark. I looked down to try also, but by the time we both looked back up to the sky, it was gone. The hairs on my body stood up. A chill came over me, and we both sat there trying to come to grips with what we witnessed. The object, when compared to a plane, was at least a thousand times the size of the plane, if not more. The blimp did not have any lights surrounding it, but what the blimp did not have any lights surrounding it, but what appeared to be an aura or some type of gray-white gas that was illuminated enough for us to distinctively see its formation and followed it as it traveled slowly northeast at a pro for approximately 15 to 20 seconds. So this one doesn't strike me as as Starlink at all because what they're seeing is not an illuminated object; it's rather a dark object. And if you didn't get kind of the narrative there, one friend tried to tried to take a picture of it, and the picture didn't come out. So Andrea, who's reporting that, she kind of bends over to get her camera, and it's at this point that the thing fades out of existence. But what they saw, rather than like a string of lights or something, was like a dark body in the sky that seemed to be illuminated slightly only due to the fact that there was something behind it that was brightening it up. Yeah, um, although the time works out for starting. I know, and when I saw that, when I saw the time and the date, and I got that report, I'm like, oh, here we go. But and it was, it tells us, you know, that um, that people will report seeing um, things and, and put their own interpretation on it, their own their own spin on it, and. Um, in cases where we definitely know things are Starlink, uh, for example, where people provide photos and videos, their accompanying description um, is sometimes very, very different. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, blimp is very common for Starlink. Cigar is very common. String of pearls is very common. Um, uh, and, you know, the fact that uh, sometimes you'll see uh, and I've heard this once or twice before where people will say that there, there is a a dark object with lights on it and in the case of starlink there is no dark object there's just the lights but our minds think that if there's lights in the sky it must be they must be on something so we will interpret it uh, as being an object that it's on so that's still possible so yeah even though the description sounds very fantastic and completely unlike starlink the fact that it occurred at exactly when starlink was in the sky you know makes you think well maybe that's what it was but Again, you know, there, this is why ufology uh, is, is so interesting and why UFO investigation is a lost art because it's, it's hard work. You just it's, you have to go through a lot of hoops. Yeah, certainly. And it's um, you're always going by memory, uh, like even time. Like if, if I saw something, unless I looked down at my phone and saw exactly what time it is, I, I would have a hard time even giving you an estimate of of the time, which for a researcher would make it very difficult to rule in or out certain, you know, objects that may be seen or would have been a, would have been visible at that point in time. Absolutely. But it does tell you, um, even the cases where we can say, or we say that these things were Starlink, um, those are actually very important. And the reason they're important is because when a person reports a UFO and we're able to explain it, that means they actually saw something. There was something in the sky that they reported and described and, you know, affected them, you know, emotionally or or whatever, but they saw something. It was really there. So in the case of something where somebody reports a UFO that is not Starlink and we don't know what it is, we, we should not throw it out and just say, oh, it's nonsense. You know, a person was making it up or they mm -hmm. were hallucinating or, or pulling everybody's leg. No, because in most of the cases that we can explain, there really was something there. Mm -hmm. So in the case where we can't explain it, you just should you should, simply can't just say, oh, it's nothing. There's nothing there. There was something there, most likely. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, um, I know it's it's early to talk about this, but the um, UFO survey this year, have you even seen any preliminary data of, of reports being up or down or one way or the other at this point? Or is it too early to tell? Um, it is early, but 
I mean, I can say, you know, Starlink is a is an outlier because we got, I don't know how many, 20, 30 reports or something like that, which, you know, skews the stats a bit. Up until that point, uh, we received comparatively few uh, UFO reports. It was very interesting. I was on a, a TV show uh, from England earlier today, uh, and the person before me was another UFO uh, 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 fellow who was saying that in the United States, oh, the, the story is that there's many more reports uh, uh, and sightings are way, way up and reports are way, way up. And I haven't seen the data. I mean, we haven't seen the reports that back mm -hmm. that up. Mm -hmm. You've heard stories that people are saying that the UFO reports are up, but we can't back that, that up with data. With the Canadian UFO survey, we actually see the reports and those numbers are actually down a little bit. Um, but with Starlink numbers, you know, maybe it'll sort of even out that it's it'll be about the same as last year. Uh, so it's too early to tell, but, I, you know, nothing, no big increases, that's for sure. But people are consistently still reporting UFOs. And that's, I think, getting data is all, you know, what what's really hot these days, this Galileo project uh, that's uh, out of Harvard and all these scientists are looking for data. Well, this is the data and this is what science should be looking at. Hello, listeners. Sorry to pull you out of the episode like this, but I want to take a moment and share some production notes and updates with you. First of all, I'm working on my next listener-contributed story episode. This one is going to feature those of you who have had the misfortune of being scammed, either financially or otherwise. So let me use this as a time to call out to you. Did you have a Facebook marketplace deal go south? A job offer turn into a living hell? Or maybe a deal that seemed too good to be true turned out to be, well, untrue? If so, help me turn your horrible experience into a cautionary tale for other nighttime listeners. You can contribute by sending a short description of what happened to you to nighttimepodcast at gmail.com and make sure to include the word scam in the subject line. I'll get back to you and we can work out the next steps. And just so no one has to ask, yes, you can remain anonymous. Now, with that said, let me remind everyone listening that Nighttime values your comments, your suggestions, and your feedback. In fact, I want to include more of these sorts of things in the show. So if you have something to share related to the show or any stories I've covered, go to nighttimepodcast.com, click on the Contacts tab, and send me a voice memo. I'd love to include it in an upcoming episode. And now one last message before we get back to this episode. I want to remind Nighttime listeners, both new and old, that all past episodes of Nighttime and countless hours of bonus content are waiting for you on the premium feed. For only a couple dollars a month, you can get about twice as much Nighttime than the free feed offers, you can get exclusive content, after-show recordings, and various behind-the-scenes stuff by going premium at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And not only does a premium feed subscription give you more nighttime, it also helps fund the creation of the show. So thanks for considering it. Now let's get back to the episode. Uh, just an interesting idea with this year's report, given that Starlink is likely going to come into play uh, to some to some extent, would it would be like a some kind of visualization of when Starlink would be most visible versus when the reports were received, just to give a sense of, you know, how how it may affect it. Because I can imagine it kind of being in waves because they do their launches every whatever every month or whatever it is. So th there there must be some kind of correlation. Yeah, uh, I, I think absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, the next launch doo, 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 is the night of August 30th for us. Okay. So you tack on another seven hours for them to, to zip around the, the side of the earth where we can see them. So um just thinking, you know, we might see it the early morning of August 31st uh, or have to wait for the, the following day. So um yeah i mean the we can in fact uh point out that the you know some of these satellites do coincide uh, there is a fellow who uh, who's actually canadian um i'm trying to remember his name is terry terry molzan or something like that um he's a an ardent debunker uh um and uh he's written a number of interesting articles 
uh, in a uh, euphosine um, called uh, oh, UFO. Oh, can't remember it now. Can't remember okay. the title. Going blank. Anyways, um, he's he, he his theory is that um, all uh, significant UFO reports um, have occurred around the time of rocket re-entries and satellite re-entries and all that sort of stuff, and that they can coincide and that explains everything. Well, I've gone back through the Canadian UFO survey data. And I found cases of, you know, significant UFO reports that didn't coincide with a satellite launch mm -hmm. and found satellite launches that were not actually observed and reported as UFOs. <laughs> so it's not a consistent thing, but it, he does raise some interesting questions and, and issues. And, you know, the, some of them mat some of these cases do match. So we have to be very careful. And it's a very useful tool to uh, take a look at satellite tracking in terms of UFO reports. Mm. All right. Well, and just one last thing about the survey when typically when are you publishing it each year like well what happens is um uh we usually wait uh until february ish of the following of, of the calendar year because it takes a time uh for example people who report ufos not to you which is where they should be reporting them um, but to things like the National UFO Reporting Center in the States or to MUFON, sometimes it takes a month or two for people yeah, okay. to actually report them. To get, get the sh you take a little bit of time to let the stragglers catch up, I guess. Yeah, so yeah. and then we have to gather, and because we, we gather reports from all the known uh, sources, UFO uh, uh, websites and uh, researchers across Canada, and then to actually physically enter them all, which is a, a very time-consuming thing. You can imagine that Typical year, we have 700 to 1,000 UFO reports that have to be entered into a database. So that takes time. So, uh, you know, it does take a while. So we usually try to get it out by March, April. Oh, gotcha. Sometimes it's delayed until like May or June, but yeah. it, it's, uh, uh, it, it'll, it'll come. Yeah. Now, one last question is uh, we've talked a lot about reports coming in and what things may or may not have been. But... As in how the data is compiled and used, of course, with your survey. But what we don't talk about a lot is who actually investigates reports. Mm. Um, is that something like a, there was a time when there was, you know, MUFON and all these kind of um, civilian groups that would have an interest in their reports, contact people, make calls and try to, you know, solve these many riddles that pop up. But it, it seems like largely over the last maybe five or ten years that has really waned and, and and it seems like it doesn't even happen now yeah and i've actually um talked about this a number of times that ufo investigation is a lost art uh, it's uh, a lot of work it's time consuming and we don't have the resources most people interested in ufos uh and, and you know try to be investigators don't have the resources because uh, i mean in the united states for example, MUFON has chapters in most, if not all, uh, states, uh, sometimes more than one. Um, so, you know, for a person who is a MUFON investigator in Ohio, um, you know, there's, you know, there could be you know, a few dozen uh, people who are MUFON investigators, and Ohio is much smaller than, say, Ontario. Uh, and uh, there's only a limited number of UFO investigators in each province in uh, in Canada. In fact, some provinces don't have UFO mm -hmm. investigators. So we don't have the resources to actually physically go and investigate. Most UFO investigation is done via the Internet. Mm -hmm. uh, I think few are done actually with voice over the phone these days, although thankfully some of the people send their, uh, leave you some voicemails. But to actually investigate uh, is... Uh, uh, is something that that's gone the way of the dodo. It's simply uh, not physically possible, and uh, re resources are simply not there, mm -hmm. um, which is which is a problem. But uh, at the same time, you know, in the case of the Greater Toronto area, for example, uh, in, in the GTO, GTA, I mean, um, you know, there are enough investigators that if something is seen around you know, Scarborough or Peterborough or something like that, there would be somebody who could spend some time investigating. But remember that most UFO uh, uh, sightings do tend to have explanations, whether they're Starlink or um, satellites or planes or stars or, or planets or whatever. And so it's not practical 
for investigators to go out investigating every single case. Mm -hmm. If something sounds like a duck, it's probably a duck. So if mm -hmm. somebody reports something that sounds like Starlink, there's no need to go out and investigate and you know survey the neighborhood and that type of thing. So there are reasons why it's not being done anymore. But at the same time, uh, there are some cases that deserve some further investigation. And I'm, I'm convinced that if um, there are some cases that pop up, regardless of where they are in Canada, uh, there will be some investigations that could be done uh, by people locally in the area, unless they're really out of the way. Uh, you know, if, if something is seen in Cambridge Bay in Nunavut, uh, I, I have no idea how that would be investigated. Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, the the good news is that some really good cases will be investigated, and ho hopefully, that you know there's this push for UAP investigations here in Canada, um, and I know that some politicians are are making some noise in parliamentary committees. Uh, they're you know with the United States and its uh, you know interest in UAPs. Uh, perhaps there's going to be more of an effort on the part of the. Uh, uh, Canadian Forces or the RCMP or Transport Canada or NAV Canada to do investigations a little bit more. Maybe there's some uh, level investigation that's already being done. We don't know that, uh, but perhaps there's something being done. And I think the point is that civilian UFO investigators, many of them are fairly well trained, uh, uh, very good observers. Some are former RCMP and military uh, backgrounds. So they would be good resources for the government UFO or UAP investigations here in Canada. So I'm hoping that there will be an increase in the amount and the degree of UFO investigation in Canada. Yeah, I feel the same. And it, I think it's really important to have like a like civilians um, taking it on as well. Like because one thing with the whole uh, UFO scene and disclosure, like there's this paradox where I think people a lot of people have the the belief that the government maybe has more or is doing more than they're publicly stating and maybe hiding stuff for whatever reason you know that's all that's always been kind of an idea in this but um at the same time people seem to be wanting the, the seem to want the government to be the ones to take on the investigations and you know, and ramp up their, you know, funding for UFO investigations or whatnot. But I think the idea is, or the idea is kind of a paradox in that if the government has this info and, and is not coming clean and revealing it, then maybe they're, they're not the people who we should want to investigate. And it should be civilians who take on the charge like they have been doing. And like, you know, since interest in UFOs really, really started. It's been largely driven by civilians, at least yeah, it seems to me. And, it, and you're right, it is an interesting paradox because, I mean, the point of the whole X-Files uh, theme was, you know, don't trust the government because they're, you know, they're, they're hiding everything. And yet people right now are saying, oh, the government's going to disclose exactly what they have. We're going to leave it all up to the government investigations mm -hmm. and the, you know, the, the UAP task force run by the Pentagon. Well, yeah. <laughs> but if you can't trust them, why are you trusting them to do that? It just yeah. it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, it it's uh, it is strange, but regardless, uh, lots to discuss. Uh, we could go on all night, but we won't tonight. We'll wrap this up, but I'm sure it'll be no time from now. Then I'll have a, a pocket full of reports that I'm going to want to talk to you about. Uh, so you'll hear from me soon. A passel of them. Exactly. Uh, I'm going to go read more of uh, that sighting of uh, the, the eight-foot-tall beast and the various statements that the children gave the police. Stay away from Thompson, Manitoba, man. Boy. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, it's been great, buddy. Thanks for joining me again. Okay, great. Thanks, George. I want to thank you for joining Chris Rutkowski and I for our discussion. But before we part, I want to give some thanks. A big thanks to Chris for sharing an evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A shout out to Monty Data, who contributes the music for this episode. And a shout out to LJ from Dystopian Simulation, who provides the intro and outro voiceovers. But as usual, the most important thanks of all goes out to every one of you listening, as without your interest and your support, Nighttime would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping this show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, the best way to pitch in is by subscribing to the premium feed. And not only does that fund the creation of the show, 
it gives you many more episodes than you'll find here on the free feed. And on the topic of the premium feed, let me thank the newest subscribers. Robin, Elaine, and Steven, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else interested, you can get the premium feed at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And one last thing before we wrap up here. If anyone listening has any story ideas, wants to give feedback on the show, or would like to contribute a voice memo to be aired in an upcoming episode, you can reach me at nighttimepodcast.com contact. I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.